together. Let's stand up together. They, don't, they haven't rehearsed it, so we won't ask them to play it. Just give me a C chord if you do that. Okay? Sing this with me. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Sing it again with me. Only believe. Only believe all things are possible. Father, we call upon you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have a Savior. We thank you that through the trials and the tribulations of life that we are encouraged because we do have one who sits at thy right hand to make intercession for all of those who come unto you by him even our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we are thankful that when we face the end of life, when we face death, that we can face death in victory because we know that our Lord Jesus Christ overcame death. And he said, because I live, you shall live also. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. That he is a God who will receive all who call upon him, all who seek him, all who believe on his name. But this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Father, we lift up to you today our nation. We are in deep, deep trouble. We ask you to send us a heavenly awakening. Send us a revival. Send us a, a spirit of power that we might be able to persuade men to look unto the Lord Jesus Christ from which comes life, everlasting life, Father, we thank you for this building you've given us. We thank you for the blessings that you've sent our way. We thank you for bringing us into a new year. And pray that this morning you'll bless your word to our hearts that we might be strengthened and helped as we consider once again the word of God and in particular our Lord Jesus Christ as he's presented in the gospel. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. We pray that you will strengthen and help them and comfort them and cause them to be looking to you always. We can't find any help in this world. 
We can't find any help really from one another, but we can find help in you. But you always are ready to help us, those who call upon you. And we look to you this morning to help us as we seek to worship you. May the name of the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up. We ask in his name for his sake. Amen. Now, if you want to remain standing for a moment and open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Genesis, chapter 41. And I'm going to pick up again on our studies regarding uh, Joseph, the life of Joseph. All right? I don't know if this microphone is on. Let me cut it off. There we go. Thank you, Dale. So you can hear me okay? All right. Genesis chapter 41. We're going to look at one verse today. That's verse 14. Genesis 41, verse 14. His subject is Joseph called out of prison. Joseph saved from prison. Genesis 41, verse 14. The Pharaoh sent, and he called Joseph, and they brought him hastily, brought him in a hurry out of the dungeon. And Joseph shaved himself, and he changed his clothes, and he came in unto the Pharaoh. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. All of you probably know this portion of the story of Joseph. I want us to glean this morning some lessons that the Lord may be teaching us from this story. Joseph has been in prison for some time. You'll notice that the very first verse of Genesis 41 says it came to pass at the end of two full years. Some theologians say, well, we don't know if that's two years since he was in jail with the baker or whether it refers to an earlier period, but we can be sure of these facts. Number one, God's people, like Joseph, we, not, we may not be in a literal prison, but we come into this world in bondage, but we will be delivered and there is a set time for the people of God to be delivered. The Lord used the butler. He used the king of Egypt to free Joseph. He didn't deliver him from prison for at least two years, but he did deliver him. He didn't deliver uh, Joseph from the bondage of slavery for 13 years. But at the set time, he delivered him. Now get this, God's part, if I may say it this way, is to deliver us. Our part is to patiently wait for it. Joseph had to wait 13 years for complete deliverance, but at God's own set time, he was delivered. Often what we interpret as delay on the Lord's part is the Lord's way of separating real believers from those who are not real believers. The sheep from the goats, the wise from the foolish. The prophet Habakkuk had a promise of deliverance. And listen to what he says, and maybe they can put this on the board. It's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. Here's what it says. Here's what the verse says. The Lord said to Habakkuk, 
I'm giving you a vision. The vision is yet for an appointed time, but it shall speak and it will not lie, though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. There it is on the board for you. Now notice what the Lord says here. For the purpose, the vision is yet for an appointed time. It's a specific time for a specific purpose. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. The truth of God will win out. Though it tarry, though it seems to be delayed, it may seem to tarry, it will come, it will not tarry. There are many, many, many professing Christians today who are leaving the churches, going back to where they were because they are growing tired of waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in one of Peter's epistles that this would happen. He said in the last days, scoffers would come and they would say, where's the promise of his coming? Since great, 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 great grandfather and grandmother fell asleep, we've heard Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. But even today, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Peter warned us about that. And so I want to encourage you to continue to look to the Lord and to wait on him because I believe that things will get much worse before they get any better. And this prophet was told that though it seemed that the fulfillment of the vision God gave him was delayed, he should patiently wait for it. It would surely come. I remember that Jesus warned his disciples and he said, you're going to go through persecution. You're going to go through trial and tribulation. But to possess your souls, wait through it all in patience. You may not be delivered at the first, but you will be delivered at God's appointed time. Let me ask you this question. The great apostle Paul, who wrote 13 or 14 of the New Testament books, when did the Lord deliver him? You know, he was a, a Jewish rabbi who hated uh, the Christians and he hated Christ. He did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, when did God save him? Well, here's what he said. He said, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, he called me by his grace. Amen. That's when he saves him. When did the Father send his Son into the world? Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman and made under the law. When will the Lord gather all of his people together? Ephesians 1.10, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he will gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and in earth, even in him. He's going to do it at a certain time at a specific time, a time that's on his calendar. If we have trusted him to deliver us from the punishment of our sins, and we are trusting him to deliver us from the power of our sins, we can trust him to deliver us from the very presence of our sins. But all of this will be in his own set time. We were born at a set time, we are saved at a set time, and we will be released from our bodies at a set time. Though it tarry, wait for it. We can be sure of that. God is going to deliver Joseph. I'm going to go into detail about that in just a minute. 
but he's going to deliver him at a set time because this set time fits into his overall purpose for his people. Here's the second thing I want to bring up to you. Although all men are free to act, free to make decisions according to the dictates of their own will, yet the purpose of God cannot be altered or hindered. Now I want you to understand what I'm saying here. All men are free to act. The theologians have debated free will and God's will ever since Adam has been here. So I want to set the record straight this morning. Men have a will and they make decisions. God has a will and he has a purpose. And although men are free to act, free to make decisions according to the dictates of their own wills, yet the purpose of God cannot be altered and it cannot be hindered. Now you look at the life of Joseph. His brothers made some decisions. What did they decide? They decided that they were going to kill him. Reuben intervened and said, let's don't kill him. Let's put him in a pit. Then another brother said, I'll come back and get him. He said to himself, I'll come back. Reuben was the one that said, I'll come back and get him. Judah said, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And they'll take him down into Egypt and we'll never see him again. All of those uh, decisions by those brothers were freely made. Then the Ishmaelites to whom Joseph was sold, they made some decisions. When they got down into Egypt, they decided they would sell him again. They sold him to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar made some decisions. His wife made some decisions. But the purpose of God was not altered or hindered one whit. The Lord, I want you to, I know I'm repeating things a lot, but I'm doing this on purpose. The Lord revealed his purpose for Joseph back in chapter 37 when he gave Joseph, who was at that time 17 years old. When he gave him those two dreams, he revealed his purpose for Joseph at that time. He was destined to rule over his family. His brothers who envied him will submit to him, and his father who loves him will be brought under his rule. And although Joseph is next to the youngest of all of his brothers, he is destined to have the preeminence over them. Everybody acted freely, but the purpose of God was not altered. Number three, the Lord keeps the details of his purpose, the details of his will to himself. He told Joseph in those two dreams, you're going to be put into a position of preeminence and your brothers are going to fall down before you. But he didn't know all the details about how he would get there. He didn't know about being thrown in a pit. He didn't know about being sold to some Ishmaelites. He didn't know about being sold again down in Egypt to Potiphar. He didn't know about Potiphar's wife. He didn't know about going to prison. He didn't know about any of that. He was just told a little portion of it. God keeps the details of his will, the details of his purpose to himself. Never forget 
that Deuteronomy 29, 29 passage. Never forget that. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things that are revealed belong to us. We have 66 books of Revelation here. This is what I'm supposed to be tending to. Finding out what the Lord says in these 66 books, hearing what he says, and as, as he gives me grace and leadership and light, walking according to that re revelation. That's the revealed will of God. That's something he's revealed to us. But the secret things belong to the Lord our God. He keeps the details of his will secret. Debbie, whose, whose daughter passed away at the age of 41, she didn't know when she gave birth to that little girl that she was just only going to live 41 years. She didn't know that. She didn't know how she was going to leave. She didn't know all that. The Lord kept all those details to himself. You don't know how you're going to leave. You don't know when you're going to leave. And neither do I. The Lord keeps those details to himself. Why, if you knew when you were going to pass away, you couldn't enjoy anything else in life. You wouldn't be able to enjoy anything. You'd be counting the days and the months and the years and the days. You don't know. The Lord keeps those things to himself. And I personally believe that when he makes the decision or when he made the decision in eternity for the lives, the days of the lives of our years, I believe that that was the best possible decision choice that could be made. In other words, I want him to determine my life. I don't want it in my hands. People say, take care of yourself. I often say, can't do it. <laughs> Tried to, been trying to. I have to ask the Lord to take care of me. I'm not able to get out of bed by myself. I can't drive downtown by myself. I'll wake up one morning, perhaps, and will not know my name. Will I be all right? Well, if I'm under the blood of Christ, I will be. Even if I don't know what blood is. The Lord keeps the details of his will secret. We know Joseph will be delivered. We don't know when, where, or how. We know we will be delivered. We'll be delivered from this world. We will be delivered from all of this mess that we're in down here. We will be delivered because the Lord has promised it. We who believe have been delivered from the punishment of our sins. We're being delivered from the power of our sins. But just when the final deliverance will come, when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Savior, nobody knows the day or the hour. Guess what? It's none of our business. What is our business? Well, our business, our orders, are to do all that he has revealed to us and commanded us to do and to wait upon him. The Lord Jesus told Peter something about his fate in John chapter 21. You can read about it. He gave Peter a little hint of how he was going to leave this world. And you know, Peter said, but Lord, pointing to John, what about John? What's going to happen to John? You can read it. It's in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. And when Peter asked the Lord, what about John? The Lord said, none of your business. It's right there in your Bible. He said, none of your business. He said, what is that to you? You do what I gave you commands to do. You're busy about what I told you to do. I'll take care of John. In the book of Daniel, when the Lord showed Daniel many things regarding the last days, Daniel asked the Lord about some specifics, and he was told it was a secret, and it was not for him to know. Daniel chapter 12. 
So we do not know all the details of our lives. We don't know about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord hasn't told us. He just told us he's coming. He's given us some information about coming, but knowing he has promised is enough. I always think of E.W. Johnson once he was having a theological discussion with a man, and he was trying to prove a point to this man, and he quoted the scripture to this man, and the guy said to Brother Johnson, well, it only says that once. And Brother Johnson said, how many times does God Almighty have to say something? (laughs) Once is enough, if God says it. Once is enough. So he has promised to come again. He has promised to keep us until then. Just serving him, keep serving him, keep trusting him, keep waiting for him, keep looking to him. We're told in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, we ought to be like the servants who are ready for whatever comes. Like servants who are waiting for their master, dressed for action and with their lamps trimmed. Here's what the Lord Jesus said. Blessed are those servants whom when the Lord comes shall find He shall find them watching. I say unto you, he shall gird himself. He shall take off his coat and make them sit down to meet, and he he will come forth, and he will serve them. And if it shall come in the second watch or in the third watch, the Jewish day began at six in the evening. Six to nine in the evening is the first watch. Nine to twelve is the second watch. Twelve to three a.m. is the third watch. Three a.m., to 6 a.m. is the fourth watch. So he said, if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and he finds them watching, he finds them waiting for him, blessed are those servants. Know this, if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. He would not have allowed his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when ye think not. That's good advice for us, found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. So let's be like Joseph. He just kept trusting the Lord. He just kept doing all he knew to do while he was waiting for it. So here are the three lessons thus far. God's people will be delivered, but there's a set time for their deliverance. Number two, although men are free to act, free to decide as they please, the purpose of God cannot be altered or hindered. Number three, the Lord keeps the details of his will to himself. And here's the fourth lesson. And it has to do with Joseph's deliverance. How did he get out of prison? How did Joseph get out of prison? Notice verse 14. That was our text, wasn't it? Verse 14. Genesis 41 and verse 14. It says, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. You know how we get out of our prison, our prison house of sin? The Lord sends for us and he calls us. That's how you get out. Joseph was probably doing some job there in the prison. Suddenly he heard somebody calling his name. Not once, but several times. And I would imagine there was an urgency about the voice that called his name. And it was uh, because of who had sent the man who was calling Joseph. None other than the most powerful man in that part of the world at that time, the king of Egypt. And brother, when a king calls, there's urgency. 
There is power. Solomon says so. Ecclesiastes 8, 4. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what are you doing? That was in Solomon's day. <laughs> the Pharaoh had absolute power over his subjects. Thumbs up, you live. Thumbs down, you die. And in the ancient world, no one would dare question the word of a king. In fact, no one would even enter into the room where the king was sitting unless he called for you. Do you remember the story of Esther in the Bible? The Jews were about to be exterminated because of a wicked man named Haman. And Esther, who was the queen, who was a Jewish woman, and the king did not know she was Jewish, her cousin Mordecai sent a word to her and urged her to go in before the king and make an appeal for the Jews. But she sent back word and she said this, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whoever, man or woman, shall come into the king in the, outer, in the inner court who is not called. There's one law of his to put them to death. Except such to whom the king shall hold out his scepter. If he holds up that scepter when you come in, then they won't kill you. If he doesn't, you're dead. I have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. Esther knew that the penalty for approaching the king uninvited was death. Listen, when men try to approach God, except through the Lord Jesus Christ, they will not be received. They will face death. There is only one way to approach God, and that's in His Son. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So Esther knew the penalty for approaching the king uninvited. In other words, she had a healthy respect for the king and his rules and regulations. By the way, I can't help but throw this in here. Have you noticed the deterioration of respect for authority in this nation? In nearly all areas of life in the last few years, there has been a corruption and corrosion of respect for authority. There's been a loss of respect for parents by children. There's been a loss of respect for the keepers of order, that is, the officers of the law, the police. There has been a loss of respect in our schools. Last week, a six-year-old child shot a teacher. There has been a loss of respect in our courts. There has been a loss of respect for all of our elected officials, especially for the highest office of all, the presidency. The manner in which some of these reporters address the president is a shame. I would kick them out. I wouldn't answer their questions, and I would kick them out and ban them from future uh, entrance into that room. Even if a reporter doesn't like the president, you could respect the office of the presidency. Amen. And this begs the second question, why all of this disrespect? Why are we having all of this disrespect? Can you imagine Joseph when the king called him? Now, I'm not going. I don't want to see him right now. Can you imagine that? Well, first of all, of course, Joseph wanted to get out of prison. 
And that's when the Lord will save you, when you are really wanting to be saved. When you're really wanting him, when you're really seeking him, when you're really calling on him, when you know you need a savior, he will hear you and he will save you. But if Joseph said, I won't go, I don't want to see him. Where did all this disrespect come from? Well, you know where it is. It's because this postmodern generation has no respect for the highest authority, the source of all authority, which is God himself. All you have to do is read your Bibles. Romans chapter 3, when the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listed the fearful consequences of sin upon the human race. He said, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understand, no, not one. There's none who seek God, none who are profitable for God, none who speak right. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to uh, shed blood. Their, their ways are destruction and misery, and their hearts are have no peace. And then he gives the last thing. He says, this is the cause of all of it. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the cause of it. That's the cause of the loss of respect. Men don't need God today. They don't need God. Men steal and kill and lie and hate because they don't fear God. They have no respect. Listen, anybody who doesn't have respect for God won't have respect for anything else or anyone else. You know, one thing the Lord is saying in the law when he gave the law of God to Israel People don't like to read it this way, but the law said to Israel, you're going to respect me or I'm going to destroy you. I personally believe that this is why this nation is experiencing continual calamity. This nation will no longer listen to and obey the Lord, and so the Lord is bringing chastisement upon us. Not one person in 10,000, they would think you're crazy if you said God had anything to do with all that flooding out there in California. All of those earthquakes, oh, God doesn't have anything to do with that. Well, who has something to do with it? Well, Mother Nature and Father Time. I personally believe this nation is experiencing continual and increasing calamity because they will not, this nation will no longer listen to the Lord. And so the Lord is bringing chastisement. When he gave the law to Israel, he said to them, Hear me and obey, and you will be blessed. Reject my law, and you will be cursed. I'll chasten you. I'll use the weather. I'll use the economy. I'll use disease. I'll use death to bring you to me, to get your attention, to make you understand that you must live in my world under me. And if that doesn't do it, then when you leave here, when I take you out of this world, I'll sentence you to eternity without parole in my prison. Brother Sasser, we don't, we don't believe God has anything to do with killing people. Well, let me ask you this. Who opened the Red Sea and drowned the entire army of Pharaoh? Who closed that Red Sea on Pharaoh's army? Who opened up the ground and set Korah and Dathan and their followers down to hell and then set fire to burn up 250 men and their families who had followed them because they rebelled against Moses? You can read it in Numbers chapter 16. 
Here's what it says. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that belonged to Korah and all their goods. They and all that belonged to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed up upon them and they perished from among the congregation and there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Who killed Ananias and Sapphira? In Acts chapter 5 in the New Testament, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. You don't believe God does that? Who, according to the scripture, who's going to destroy this world? He made it, and he's going to destroy it. He's just promised he won't destroy it with water. Who's going to destroy this world? What did Jesus say, not once, but twice? Jesus warned us in Matthew 5 and Luke 12. He said, while you have time, settle your case with the court of heaven now. He said, if you don't settle your case now, you're going to be sent to God's prison house. And you know what he said then? He said, verily I say unto you, you shall by no means get out of there until you have paid the uttermost farthing. Translation, until you've paid the last penny, you won't be able to get out. Yes, God is a God of grace. Yes, he's a God of mercy. People say, but Brother Sasser, Jesus came to show us the love of God. Well, there are two, two answers to that. We're going to get back to Joseph here in just a minute. Love cannot exist where there is no respect. Love is an act of the will. You will to love another person. You know good and well when the Lord Jesus said, love your enemies. You mean to tell me you can just naturally love somebody that's your enemy that hates you, that wants to do you harm, that wants to kill you and your family, you can just naturally love them? No, that takes the grace of God. And he gives you the grace to will to love them in spite of the fact of what they're trying to do to you. That's what the Lord said. He said, bless them and don't curse them. Love your enemies. Do good to those that despitefully use you and persecute you that you might be the children of your Father in heaven. All of these people in this world who curse God, who hate God, who are against God, he still gives them life. He still extends to them his mercy. He's still bringing them to truth. And if they hear that truth and repent of their sins and come to Christ, he will save them. Love can't exist where there's no respect. If we love God, we will respect God. Hell is the abode of those who could not love God because they had no respect for Him. Any of you ever watch the, uh, what is it called, AFV on Sunday evening where there's people sending all these funny videos? Funny. Well, every once in a while, they'll have a little video of some kid that got a gift. Uh, maybe on Christmas. They had one recently. And this kid got a gift on Christmas, and man, he made the worst face you've ever seen. And he took that gift and threw it against the wall. And I don't want that. <laughs> Every once in a while, they show a video like that. Do you know why anyone pouts about the gift they get that they don't want? Because they don't love the person who gave them the gift. That's why. 
Men and women and boys and girls pout and find fault with the Lord because they don't love it. If they loved him, they'd quit finding fault. Love cannot exist where there's no respect. And number two, I hope you have your seatbelts on there. God did not send his son to love us into heaven. He sent his son to satisfy the demands of the law against us. When we confess our sins, the Bible says he's faithful and he is just. There's a matter of justice involved to forgive us of our sins. What does that mean? It means if Jesus paid for your sins, then it's a matter of justice for God to forgive you of your sins when you ask him to. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why did Jesus die? Jesus died because the justice of God demanded our death, and Jesus said, I'll die in their place. The redemptive love of God cannot be shown until the justice of God is satisfied. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son to satisfy his holy law and its demands against us. And without the death of Christ, the love of God could not save us. You know what a prison is? A prison is a place full of people who have no respect for the law. And they have no respect for the law because they have no respect for the lawgiver. Now, can a judge in a court of law overrule the demands of the law by his love for the criminal? Well, I know John killed 15 people, but I love him. And I'm going to let him go. No, the law must be satisfied. And when criminals are released without having satisfied the demands of the law, this is not love. This is injustice. And when injustice sits on the throne of power, chaos results. And that's what we have, everything from our families to the federal government. We're seeing injustice on every hand. At the root of all this is a refusal to bow to the sovereign Lord. So let me ask you, has the king called you? Has he called you? How was Joseph saved? Let's look at this briefly and quickly. Verse 14, you already know the first answer. How was he delivered from prison? How will we be delivered from our sins? Well, the king was behind the deliverance of Joseph. And the king of kings is behind our deliverance. Number two, the king sent a servant to call Joseph. You know, the Bible says it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. God sends out his messengers to preach his word. And those who hear his word and who call on the Lord, they will be saved. The king sent a servant to call Joseph. Number three, the servant called Joseph by name. Who are you looking for? John, Harry, Smith? No, I'm looking for Joseph. Where is Joseph? I've told you the old story of Charles Spurgeon giving an illustration about a young boy who would go to church every Sunday when he would hear Mr. Spurgeon preach, and he would lean over in the pew, and he had his hands like this. Somebody said, what are you doing, son? He said, I'm waiting. I'm listening for the Lord to call my name. Mr. Spurgeon said, he calls his sheep by name. 
I'm listening for him to call me, he said. The, 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 the king sent a servant to call Joseph. The servant called Joseph by name. And listen to this now. Joseph was brought to the king freely, freely and irresistibly. Irresistible doesn't just mean against your will. It means that it was too attractive. It was too tempting to be resisted. It was too powerful. It was too convincing to be resisted. He knew he was in prison. He might have thought when he heard this man call his name, he might have thought he was in trouble. I don't know. But he soon found out he was not in trouble, that the king was calling him, the pharaoh was calling him because he needed him to interpret his dreams. How was Joseph saved? The king was behind the deliverance. He sent a servant to call him. He called Joseph by name. Joseph was brought to the king, and he was brought out, and he was brought out hastily. That's what it says in verse 14. When the Lord begins to deal with us, he deals with us in a way that seems like he's moving in haste. I will say this, there's no time to waste in calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on him now that you might be saved. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Harden not your hearts. Seek the Lord now. Call on the Lord now. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. All right, what else happened to Joseph? It says in verse 14 that he shaved himself. He shaved himself. And then number seven, it says he changed his clothes. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds like a new man to me. Sounds like the man is not looking like a prisoner. He's going to make himself presentable. Well, the Lord does that for us. He shaves us and he changes our clothes. He makes us new creatures in Christ. He brings us to himself in the guise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, and then he came in before the king. My dear friends, make sure that your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in your church, not in your profession, not in your uh, goodness or your morality or any of that. Make sure that your faith is in Christ and Christ alone. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He loved me first, and that's why I love him. Isn't that what the scripture says? I love him. We love him because he first loved us. I believe he called us, and that's why we called on him. I believe he sought us, and that's why we seek him. As I've said before, have you ever seen a a herd of sheep out looking for a lost shepherd? Have you ever seen that? I don't think you have. It is the shepherd who seeks the sheep. The Lord Jesus came down from heaven to seek his sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and no man can pluck them out of my hand. And my father once gave them me is greater than all and no man can pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Put your soul, put your needs, put everything you have in the hands of Christ. I will disappoint you. You stay around me long enough, you'll be disappointed. Others will disappoint you, but Christ will not. May the Lord add his blessings to his word.